anodizing, right? A chemical process to control oxidization. Rust bluing, to loop back to firearms here, mm-hmm. is often not referred to as rust bluing. It's just referred to as bluing. Right, because if you say rust in it, people think it's bad. What is up, everybody? Mark on the mic here. Jim to my right. Across from us, our esteemed colleague, the Ryan Muckenhern. Uh, Jim, a while ago, a while ago, Ryan and I... Yeah, I'm upset. You were upset. No, I don't say I was. I am. You're still upset. Yes. Which is why we're here today to talk about your feelings. Present tense. Your feelings on Rust, because that this is the <laughs> podcast in question... Where Ryan and I did... Why? We Why did, did you do it without me? We kind of did a Surface Rust on Firearms podcast behind your back. I know. Rust is Rust is my least favorite thing in the world. I hate Rust more than... I don't know. Name anything that everybody has hated in the last two years. I'll tell you, I hate Rust more than all that. Taxes. Yeah, I hate Rust more than taxes. Oh, man. You can avoid taxes. It's hard to avoid <laughs> rust. <laughs> Jim, that's called tax evasion. Avoiding taxes is tax evasion. That's against the law. Yeah, well. And you hate rust more than that. Absolutely. Jim, Jim, Jim would go to jail first versus experience uh, rust you at know, any level. If he was there long enough, that rust would rot the bars and Jim could narrowly escape. Yeah, I'd still hate it. I wouldn't escape. Because you'd get it on your hands. No, I, went, I wouldn't. If, if Honestly, if I was in jail and rust made the bars deteriorate before my very eyes, I wouldn't escape just because it was because of rust. That's you'd, how much I hate I'd you, be like, you know what? No, rust, you tried to do me a favor? No, screw you. You'd point it out to the guards before it got some. You'd be like, hey, can somebody do something about this rust? Seriously. I don't want to be then near you'd it. be in jail for tax evasion for the rest of your life. Or at least I don't know how long you go into jail for that. God, Mark's segue, though, that was top three. We're here to talk about your feelings, your feelings about (laughs) rust. That was good. That was off the cuff. So speaking of rust, Jim. Yeah. So like I said, we we talked about surface rust on on firearms. So if you're interested in that, audience, take a look back. Ryan talks all about kind of what's going on there, how we can prevent it. Jim, there's a greater topic here. Rust doesn't just affect firearms. Well, it affects all kinds of things. It, it affects metal. Should we define what rust is? For, I mean, I think people well, have a general a, sense, but... It's a chemical reaction that happens to metal. It happens to many metals, but in the case of anything that's made out of steel, or basically iron alloys, it, it happens in a different way than it happens to many other kinds of metals that we know, like aluminum or copper or, you know, other things like that, that, that basically also oxidize, but their oxidiza- oxidization actually protects themselves. Whereas, you know, steel here, when it rusts, it's a, it's, it's very self-destructive. Yes. Mm-hmm. I printed off a definition here. You know how I like to do that, Jim. I know you do like to do that. It says rust is an iron oxide, usually a reddish brown formed by the reaction of iron and oxygen in the catalytic presence of water or air moisture. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah. It involves electrons and all kinds of very interesting things. Atoms, it gets really it gets all the way down to the very the molecular and atomic level. What you were talking about how it affects steel differently. Right. 
what's going on there? You have a visual aid too. Yeah, we have a visual aid. YouTube. This is actually thanks to uh, our dear friend Jay, who is actually local, and uh, we won't say what Jay does exactly. Uh, because he just requested that because some of what he does, he, he's not an FFL, and so he can't uh, sort of modify firearms. And um, and therefore, based on what he does, some people hit him up, and then he has to unfortunately say, hey, you know, sorry, guys. Can't. It's not but, that he's doing anything wrong. He doesn't want to have to say no. No, yeah, exactly. So he's more yeah. like, I'd rather just avoid the questions coming in. So, um, But I totally get it. And uh, Jay's a really cool guy, though, and he helped us out with kind of our visual aid here. But... Um, yeah, like you said, steel and kind of related, uh, you know, iron alloys and stuff like that. They, they all kind of rust in, in the same way. And it's a different way than those other metals. Like I mentioned before, I mean, copper and aluminum are two very, uh, I think very distinct ones that everybody sort of knows. Like if you've ever seen copper with that nice patina, it gets that people actually like Mm -hmm. a lot of times that greenish color that is essentially kind of like rust. But I think people, there's like the technical definition of rust, and then there's also like people's thoughts about what rust is. So, yeah, it says, you know, many other metals undergo similar corrosion, but the resulting oxides are not commonly called rust. So that's why you're right. getting into that like patina type thing on. Yeah. On brass or something like that. Yeah, but when you when you get that uh, patinas or when you get an aluminum oxide layer on aluminum, um, it's actually it's a layer of oxidization on the outside of the metal that's bonding to the metal, the base metal, and then it's actually protecting it from further oxidization. Uh, and so that's really cool. That's why when you make stuff out of aluminum, it doesn't rust in the sense that things start flaking off and falling off and creating holes and, and looking tremendously ugly. Uh, it's, it doesn't do that. So when you have, uh, steel, uh, that's where you start having the formation of this oxidization layer, but the oxide or the oxidization, it doesn't adhere to the base metal. It actually flakes away. So then that's where, when you look at the, you know, frame of an early 2000s Toyota Tacoma and it's flaking away and becoming progressively thinner and thinner and big chunks of it that almost kind of look like big red metal flaky holy cakes just start falling off uh, right there near where the bed and the cab meet up and all that good stuff. Uh, that's it essentially falling away. And then it exposes new bare metal underneath, which then begins to go undergo the same process. It just gets thinner and thinner until it's gone. And you see pictures of Tacomas on the internet that are split in half. Nobody likes that, Jim. And I think, you know, up until this point, people might be going, what the hell are these guys talking about rust for? Well, this is a hunting podcast. This is a shooting podcast. This is a variety podcast. But a lot of the activities that we partake in, we use our vehicle to get there. You want that vehicle functioning optimally yeah, and looking good as well, Jim. That's right. That's right. That's but- why we need to know about how about what rust is. Yeah, I mean, I won't. You know, what, it, what it's doing and how do we prevent it? Yeah, I, so I won't claim to be a rust expert. Like, I'm not a metallurgist or a scientist, but I have been fighting rust as long as I have <laughs> been in, like, related... Lifelong battle against related rust. Related hobbies, so obviously I, I'm a big car guy, so I've been fighting rust in terms of uh, on my vehicles for, for a long time, and I feel like I've settled on some pretty good rust prevention techniques. I do drive a 93 Dodge Ram pickup, which is very notorious rust bucket in many areas. I've managed to keep rust off of it despite driving through two Wisconsin winters um, here in the Rust Belt. Uh, it still looks pristine. <laughs> is, that a ter- is that something you made up or no, is that no, a no, thing? No, no, that's a term. That's, it's the we're rust, in the Rust Belt. We're in the Rust Belt. 
Yeah. It's this whole strip of the country that kind of is in, you know, winterous climates that also wherever they use salt on the roads roads. or or other harsh chemicals. Um, Do you know, Jim, why the salt uh, is a catalyst for rust? Yeah, so I was I was kind of I've done a lot of research on that, and the thing is that you can't have rust. And we're, we're kind of like we'll stick to the steel and stuff like that. Yeah, you know things that your car is made out of your frame, unless you have a new F one fifty or you know some of these other fancy cars, some Land Rovers and things like that that are aluminum bodies and and things. But uh, so steel, um, that is what was I going to say? Oh, you have to have water. There has to be moisture. Okay. For rust to exist, right? Some people, I think, think that it is the salt which makes the car rust, and that's not necessarily true. Although that definitely does um, accelerate. promote accelerate the yeah. rust. Yeah. So that uh, salt or other chemicals can cause electrons to move more freely than if it were just regular, straight up fresh water that was on the steel. And when those electrons can move more freely, it, it just accelerates the process, like Ryan said. Ryan, you like have done lots of metal things in your life, more even so than me. And so like what what do you know about this whole like, you know, process? So stuff? what what you talked about, oxidization. So like we call rust rust, and we think it's the red thing. Oxidization is the encompassing term, right? But everything that you hit on, the chemical process occurring at the surface level of the metal. Um, accelerated by water and a saline solution or salt or something like that. Um, is it like reverse electrolysis? Is that a way to put it? Or electrolysis? I'm not super good at electrolysis. Okay. Um, <laughs> just accelerating the degrade. As of... in, as in, I, I I would have to look up what that. Oh, okay. Is. <laughs> I'm sure once I looked it up, I'd be like, oh yeah. So like, if it, you but... took if you took um, water and it had a high enough salinity, and you put piece of iron in there yes. any ferrous metal and then you hooked it up to like a battery and like oh. ran like you'd hyper accelerate it yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that, yeah. that's that free movement of of uh you know all that going on there and then bam you just have this massive oxidization i think you can actually reverse it as well or or at least at the surface level with that um but we see the brown red crud as rust this is mm-hmm. what our firearms do. This is what the frames on those early Tacomas. Mine doesn't have that. I don't think. I hope. God, you scared me when you said that. Um, this is a late model Tacoma. Yeah, everything's fine. Could be related, but electrolysis, what's coming up here is related to laser hair removal. Thank you for that, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper. So... I didn't work as much with steel at the last place. I worked with aluminum. And oh, we're getting to where you were talking about, Ryan. Right. right. We, okay, you're, you're through you the hair removal ads. Yeah, you're through the Groupon ads of laser hair Mark's removal. Mark's been looking that up a lot. That's do, you want, do you want what I came up with here? Well, yeah, I'm gonna, sure, And Mark. then hold that thought, love, okay? I love what you got. Uh, this is from the, the Wikipedia. In chemistry and manufacturing, electrolysis is a technique that uses direct electric current, electric current, to drive an otherwise non-spontaneous chemical reaction. Electrolysis is commercially, oh, very nice. is commercially important as a stage in the separation of elements from naturally occurring sources as ores. Thank you. Neat. There. That's how far my mind goes. I still don't know if I was right in saying that. But, um, yeah. So we worked with aluminum at the last outfit that I worked at. A um, lot, lot of aluminum parts. Think like AR-15s and things like this. And we fought um, aluminum oxide 
yeah. quite a bit. Not that it's a bad thing. Like you said, it's like a candy shell that's on the outside of the aluminum in raw form um, once cut. And, and once that oxidization occurs, it's easy to remove. But what's crazy about aluminum oxide compared to iron oxide or rust, as, as we refer to it as, is how abrasive and hard it is. Yeah. And how ridiculously fast it can destroy your tooling that you're using to cut stuff with and, and abrade other metals and, and like shred them. Um, and even metals that are harder than aluminum is in its base form. So like aluminum v steel, introduce aluminum oxide to this. And now you've got this like crazy, crazy, crazy abrasive compound. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually a lot of media blasted stuff, sometimes a sand that they use to blast rust off. And sometimes they use aluminum oxide. And that'll shred that right off of there very aggressively, which is fun and crazy. Um, That's about all I know about rust, Jim. From from that, I do know in that case too. Like if you're welding aluminum, you gotta. It's kind of tricky because you gotta bust through that oxide layer. Yeah, the slag. Yeah, but and then all of a sudden now you're down to the base metal. You gotta like chill out a little bit. Yeah, before you start burning holes. But But so you're kind of going full throttle and you gotta back her off a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. But aluminum doesn't rust like in this characteristic yeah. way that's that's part of the iron component too. well and sometimes too when it comes to the aluminum you can you can use that oxidization process to your advantage because that's what i've gathered anodizing is it's like a dyed accelerated yep. oxidation and then other time like mm-hmm. i know what our friend jay has described doing in the past is sometimes with aluminum parts you can do a you can add essentially a product to the aluminum to accelerate the oxidation process to kind of get that protective layer but then also inhibit further oxidation from happening because sometimes oxidation like you'll also see it for example on silver they call it tarnishing instead of rusting okay um and so then it can look a bit ugly if that's not the look that you want to go for like if you want to have something that's nice and shiny and brilliant then um yeah, that can cause an issue. You're gonna need silver polish then to get that back. Flits, flits, you say? Yeah, it's good. Good polish. Okay. All, all metals. Yeah. Um, I had a really good thought, and I just lost it. I was thinking about you're talking about our visual. You're pointing at our visual aid. <clears throat> well, I was thinking about iron oxide and aluminum oxide and anodizing controlled processes. That's what I was thinking of. Oh yeah. So anodizing, right? A chemical process to control oxidization. Rust bluing to loop back to firearms here mm-hmm. is often not referred to as rust bluing. It's just referred to as bluing. Right. Because if you say rust in it, people think it's bad. Yeah. Super scared. Right. But if you think of like a high polished blue rifle barrel or receiver, any metal component on there, that's actually just a controlled rusting or oxidization process mm-hmm. in which it then becomes a protective layer over the top of the metal. Yeah. And so we have here sort of on our, on our visual aid, it's just not bluing. Yeah. So in doing so, you achieve a very like consistent and attractive coating on the top there that actually acts as a rust preventative to a, a certain degree, although it is, in, a, in essence, oxidization, which is crazy. Right. Because it's not flaking away. It's protecting. No. Yeah. No, but yeah, in that case, they've, they've essentially, oh, and, and I was actually just reading about this before we started because I knew we were going to talk probably about bluing, and, and then I've, I've, I've blew it. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the, in that case, it is, it's a controlled form and it actually creates a protective barrier. That's really the, I mean, that's what it all comes down to when it comes to metals oxidize. If you want it to oxidize in the case, like we said, like with 
coppers or something like that, then you just let it happen and it is what it is. It'll protect itself over time. It may just not have the look. You know, if somebody wants to keep that brilliant, you know, shiny coppery look, then you're going to want to protect against that. But otherwise, if you don't care, then whatever. Um, you know, in the case of steel and other, you know, very similar metals like that, then you are going to want to protect it because otherwise then it will start to become a structural issue mm-hmm. or a, a functioning issue or something like that. Um, and so, I mean, that's the biggest thing is you need, you, you need to know what ways you can basically protect it. And I mean, the biggest ways that you can protect it is, is finding various solutions. Solutions is also like a word for, you know, like some sort of solution, a mix of stuff. I'm not referring to that, but finding various solutions that uh, prevent moisture from getting to it. And most of them are going to be a physical barrier or a chemical barrier, physical or chemical barrier. Right. 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 Jim, before we get into some of those solutions, can you speak to... A word from our sponsors. (laughs) That's what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. Yeah. We have sponsors now, Jim. Yeah. Uh, No, but like speak to some of the things um, on uh, on your auto that uh, a person, you know, areas uh, that you'd want to protect commonly affected by rust. Like, I think the body is, like, that's an easy one. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, that, that thing's a rust bucket. Oh, the wheel wells are rusted out on that thing. But, like, you dive underneath the car, there's a lot more going on that could potentially be affected by rust. Like, take uh, a leaf yeah. spring, a, a leaf spring, like our, like our friend Eric had one that came off uh, while he was driving one day. Yeah. Well, I doubt that. So... I doubt that had to do with this whole leaf spring rusting through. That's that's kind of one of the interesting things, and and that has to do with all the different parts that you have underneath. In, in, in the case of your car, and actually a lot of times any mechanical item that's made up of a number of different parts, usually you're going to have different uh, alloys and types of metals that are all going together. So a lot of times what you'll see the metal or you know the alloys that they use for like springs or yeah leaf springs, coil springs. They'll get a. They'll develop that rust. You can. They can get red, rusty, maybe flake off the paint that they had on them. But it takes a really, really, really long time before those kinds of alloys get like structurally wrong. Gotcha. Um, so that would that be more to, of a a cosmetic thing for the most part. And I don't know if it just has to do with usually the thickness of those metals and that there's there's a lot to get through before it becomes a problem. And usually the metal that's like making up the body of your car. Isn't so much, but I mean, you see frames of cars uh, rust out well before things like the leaf springs do a lot of times, uh, which is kind of interesting. So, you know, I'd have to venture to guess there's something in the alley that they're using that makes it more springy that helps with some of the, some of the, I guess, corrosion over time. But I mean, I, I guess, you know, for, for cars, it's always things, you just mentioned the wheel wells. Everybody always points out the wheel wells because the wheel wells rust like crazy. And usually uh, on a lot of cars... Um, usually that's because they provide, I mean, your wheels and your tires are right there kicking up all kinds of water and dirt and other, you know, salt, whatever it is that you drive over. And then there's a lot of nooks and crannies in there that that stuff can get stuck in. And if it's not able to especially dry out, then you're going to have moisture trapped in there. And then that's where the rust is going to start. If it's untreated metal, not treated by uh, primer and paint or some other type of coating, then that's just going to happen like lickety-split. If it is painted, then you're kind of a ticking time bomb there if you do have some of those little pockets because that's where the dirt and gravel and salt will eventually kind of etch away at the paint and you know whatever other coating is there, and it starts to become unprotected. 
Um, that actually happens a lot of times too with other metals. If their if their oxidiz- oxidization layer is sort of scratched away, mechanically removed somehow, they will begin to make a new oxidized layer. Um, and so that's that's the thing. Anytime your protective layer is removed, you're going to start to get the oxidization when moisture is introduced to the base metal. So yeah, wheel wells, um, cross members. If you get underneath your car, like the cross members that are holding up the motor or the transmission or you know other things like that. Those tend to, I mean, it depends on the vehicle, but some of them are just made of aluminum, so you don't even have to worry about it. But ones that are made out of steel, like I know on, um, I've got an old Beamer wagon, and those cross members are, I mean, I swear they're made out of like pot metal, because I had them coated, I had them everything, but I mean, they're in a spot where they're going to get nicked by debris, mm-hmm. and I mean, then the makeup of that metal is just, it likes to get rusty and flaky pretty darn quick. Um, I don't know. It it's it varies so much car to car. Um, exhaust components those are pretty classic. They'll rust out, especially the hangers or various things that are holding them up. Um, the heat shielding for exhaust components. If you ever hear a rattling coming from like the centerish portion of your car, you know a lot of times that's heat shields. Um, I mean stuff like that. The the biggest ones though are definitely big structural items. That that's pretty scary when you have to deal with that. Um, you know. I drove a 99 Jeep Wrangler that the outside of the frame looked absolutely perfect. I was so proud of the fact that I had this really rust-free Jeep, thought it was awesome. And then one day I read on a forum, which I never should have, but I read on a forum to stick a magnet down the inside of the frame, and I did so. And when I pulled it out, I had an entire magnet caked full of red, flaked-off rust, and I found out it was rusting from the inside out. Um, Never would have been able to know. Never would have guessed. And it was, it was actually, it had gotten to a point where it was rusting pretty bad um, from the inside out, even though if you looked at it on the outside, it looked nice and all black. I mean, it was, it was great. But. My dad had a, he still has a truck. He had been through, I think he said, three mufflers on there because they would rust out. And this is mm-hmm. a new model truck. And they would like, like instantly rust out. Yeah. And he couldn't figure out what happened. Well, there was a recall on him. And it turns out that the geometry of the muffler was actually capturing water in vapor form, and then it was depositing into, like, water deposits. And then that was where the issue was coming from. Yeah. So on his fourth one, he drilled drain holes. Oh. And then he didn't have a problem. I don't know if he violated it. Well, it's funny. Well, yeah, I mean, whatever. But it's funny because a lot of times with certain engine components or, you know, the exhaust, they kind of just leave those sort of unprotected, but they rely on the, and it, not completely, but they, they'll rely on the heat. Yeah, to dry it to out. To kind of oh, just bake sure. it off, yeah. right? And so yeah. that sort of keeps it um, dry for the most part. Um, obviously, it's not a perfect system or else mufflers wouldn't be rusting and falling off on cars and stuff like we see around here occasionally. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's kind of that. But... <sighs> You know, I think a lot of people will look at a place like we're in, Wisconsin, and usually they equate winter climates with, Mm -hmm. oh, you have winter climates, i.e. your cars will rust. That's not exactly untrue, but I think think that kind of gets blown out of proportion, and a lot of it can just boil down to kind of understanding what's going on with all the water that we have to deal with here, you yeah. know, whether it's in frozen form or liquid form. Mm-hmm. And that could be anywhere you go. I mean, it could be most of the time, if you look at cars like from Washington or Oregon, Mark, where you're from, they almost never have 
any rust whatsoever. And I know that has to do somewhat with their atmosphere. But then you go to other places that are really nice and warm, like Florida, and you have cars that you see driving around that are near the ocean, and they can actually rust out quite a bit because they have to deal with moisture and also the salt content uh, or salt spray that's kind of accelerating the rust uh, process. But, um, I mean, around here, I feel like one of the biggest things you can do, other than some of the physical barriers or protections that you can put on the metal, is just try to keep nasty water from ever sitting anywhere on your car or in and around your car. Um, Like not in any of the door sills. I like to try and keep my door sills, like when you open the door and you get in the car and your boots go over that kind of threshold, if you will, into the vehicle. And inevitably they drip all over that. And then you shut the door and then that just seals in all the water or the dirt and all the other crap that you brought in off your boots that just seals it all in. Sometimes the the weather stripping will also sort of grind that dirt into the paint there. And then you've got your protective layer being diminished over time. And you've got water that's just sitting there. And you'll start to see rust in the door sills. On the bottom edges of the doors, you'll see it a lot. Like when you actually open the door and you get under there and you look at it, you'll see rust forming there. Um, anywhere where there's like welds or pinch seams or stuff like that on, I mean, I guess a lot of what we're talking about is vehicles now. Yeah. But anywhere where you see like welds or pinch seams, that's pretty tough to do because they can't always get into with if it's welds, those aren't always, you know, perfectly flat or pinch seams, those can kind of have metal that folds over. You can't get all that protective paint or coating into those areas. They're a little bit more prone to maybe paint cracking over time and flaking off. So that's usually where you'll see it start. And once it starts, it's gonna that's what rust does on on steel is it starts flaking off. And and when rust bubbles, like a lot of times you'll see it as mm-hmm. if it's happening underneath paint, it'll start to bubble. That's because that iron oxide layer is trying to flake off. And, you know, once it flakes off, it'll take whatever is connected to it with it. And then, you know, the whole thing Just begins. Dispel a myth for me. This is another one perpetuated by my father. He may be right. If I park my truck in my garage, which is heated, is that better or worse in the wintertime than leaving it outside. So, yeah, I was going to bring this one up. I, this is all like anecdotal, so I actually don't know like if there's a scientific argument to this. But I will say, all right, think about this. Drive around in the winter, snow, slush, ice, whatever, gets kicked up on your car. It's just caked all over the bottom of your vehicle, right? When it's in that form, a frozen form, it's not sitting in a puddle. It's on your vehicle, and it is moisture, but it's in a frozen form. And as far as I'm aware of, you know, scientifically speaking, if you look at if you look at things in nature when they get colder or freeze, processes within that slow. See the Ice Man, for instance. Right. Is he very slow? slow Well, he's very frozen. Yeah, or the, or the, the he, deer. Oh, you're yeah. talking about the ice? I thought you were talking about like an abominable snowman kind of ice man. You're talking about like the guy frozen in ice Correct, and then wakes yeah. up 2,000 years later. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Kind of like Encino Man. It was a great movie. I was going to um, say like the deer meat in, in your freezer, like it's yeah. not rotten because it's right. frozen. Which is also oxidization. Crazy. Hmm. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. Yeah, meat. Meat rusting. Sometimes I wonder, Mark, if actually when our hands go to complete and utter garbage, I wonder if it's us rusting. Because when I travel to environments where they in in 
in sort of history, if you will, don't have cars that rust very much, I also have less issues with my hands. So I think I'm also rusting less. Interestingly enough, I would say that that is the case. Like you go to like a Washington or Alaska. Or in Arizona where it's very dry. Much better. Much better. Um, so anyway, where we're, oh yeah. So I think, you know, Are we machines? things that have happen. Have the machines taken over? Nanobots. We, we might be. Nanobots. cyborgs, according to Elon Musk. Nanobots. Great. Nanobots. Uh, Things slow down in the cold. It's not sitting in a puddle on any of the parts of your vehicle or in in any of the crevices of your vehicle. It just remains frozen. I kind of subscribe to the whole theory that when it comes to winter and my car gets frozen and snow on it and all that, I like to keep it frozen. Okay. Golly, I hate making him right. Because every time, and, and think about this too. So this is another thing that I've I've thought about because I drive a 93 Dodge Ram. Now, some of the parts, the places on that particular vehicle that rust like one of the ones is right on the front of the roof where it meets the windshield that's a pretty popular not popular common place where they mm-hmm. start to rust the theory behind that is well it could be a number of things going on but one of the theories behind that is that there is a bit of an air pocket between the exterior roof and what you see when you're inside of the truck it's not just kind of like one sheet of metal and that's it. I, be- I believe that there is kind of a barrier. In fact, there probably has to be because if you're running like uh, clearance lights up top, you don't see the clearance lights poking through into your, so like into your between, interior. You're not referring necessarily to just the headliner alone. but No, it do- well, it doesn't have a headliner. Just metal? It's just metal. Okay, so there's like a, a little transient pocket in there. Yeah, in okay. theory. Just like an, air, like an air gap between the two? Yeah. Okay. And so... My thought is there, if that air pocket isn't perfectly sealed, which it would have to rely on probably the seams that are usually made with welds or something like that, if it's not absolutely perfectly 100% vacuum sealed, so to speak, then air will find a way in. And air, when it gets hot and cold, hot and cold, right, it creates, it's the beer can effect, right? You grab a can out of a cold cooler on a hot day, and then it starts to sweat. So I think that if you have some areas within your vehicle, even if your vehicle is not caked in snow, I think if you go from cold to then your really nice heated garage, I think some areas could sweat, which introduces moisture to the equation. Like these are all just thought processes I've had. I'd love to know if some hypotheses. Hypotheses, yeah. If somebody out there is like a super scientist on you know what happens when you pull your cold vehicle into the hot garage, but I think it. I think it. It melts the snow off, and then that then pools in areas on the vehicle that are upward facing and maybe have little dishes out. Like that could be spring perches, or it could be, you know, other little areas. Maybe there's an area on top of a differential where there's an electrical connector that water can sit there, um, whatever it is. That can happen. And I also wonder if your car and certain surfaces of it actually sort of sweat like a beer can. Yeah. That gives me so much anxiety, it's not even funny. I'm sorry. That's okay. Why well, even I keep, like the whole like uh, getting into your car and you know the salt gets in the uh, the door frame. I'm like I've not been paying attention to that. I just it's, I mean it's hard to you know because it's just you're so miserable when you're in the cold. You just jump in the car and you're like ah whatever the the car's a mess. There's like salt all over the floor mats. It just ah, I just want to go home. I keep my garage humidity controlled as well. I'm well, try- that's good. If I'm, you dehumidify your garage, then you're probably in really good shape. I hope so. Because you're removing yeah. air from that. What do you do to equation? What do you use for that? Just a, a, a dehumidifier. Just a dehumidifier. Or you're removing moisture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a dehumidifier with a piece of hose you get at the hardware store pumped right out underneath the garage door. Makes I sense. mean, you'll do yourself a huge amount of favors just dehumidifying your garage. That's I dehumidify. Good to know. I dehumidify. Temp, temp controlled or otherwise. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, no matter what you do. Yeah. Um, if you do that, you're going to help yourself. I do that in the same room that I have my, my safe in, my yeah. guns in. I have a dehumidifier there. Yeah. Um, you know, especially because that's in a basement. You know, yeah. some basements are notoriously a bit damp around here. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's my whole thought around that thing. But, mm. like, when it comes to uh, the type of protection that you put on awesome. parts yep. or the vehicle or, or whatever it is, I mean, it, it depends on what the the thing is right so like we have here an example that our friend jay did and uh he shows i mean this is a piece of just rusty metal rusty steel in its bare form you can see a lot of the pitting and corrosion on it uh we didn't necessarily get rid of that as you go down the the way here but he showed the various stages of what he would do uh media blasting to get rid of the rust layer he says he prefers to use like a like a softer media instead of a super abrasive media um, I think that depends a little bit on the on the part or what it's going to be used for, but like you know, super abrasive stuff will also erode away a lot of the, the base metal. Um, so he's just trying to get rid of the rust, and then he's got a conversion coat here, which is is similar to bluing or it's similar to the oxidata- oxidization layer you see on other metals. So this is actually technically bare metal; it's not coated in anything uh, like a powder coat over here on the far side, but it's been conversion coated to have a protective chemical layer against corrosion there um well, and he's kind of changed the molecular structure of just the outside of that metal just the outside right now okay. if, if you scratch through that and you got back down to the bare metal then you're gonna reintroduce um the potential for it to start rusting again but at least as is it's definitely protected this is really useful so like i've done in some some builds or things like that of vehicles like suspensions and rear ends if you have areas where you're going to be mating together like a control arm to a subframe and you need to have the tolerances kind of pretty well uh figured out so that they fit together right you're not forcing anything like if you were to powder coat those areas that kind of slip together and they have to they have to fit together really tight. If you powder coat them, you're going to add too much thickness. Oh, sure. That also happens on some guns too. You know, like there's certain firearms you don't want to powder coat because powder coat adds a fair amount of thickness, and then you're going to be galling up or gumming up the function of it. Um, or you see, like you know, somebody's like, "Oh, I seracoded the bolt," and then all of a sudden those tolerances, right? I never known anybody who did that. Well, I think. Well, we've had a number of them come come through the door. Um, I'm just kidding. Do you remember when I did that? Oh, you did that? Oh. <laughs> I did that to a Ruger American. I thought it would be awesome. I forgot. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, man, did I speak out of turn? Maybe put, nobody, I feel like I remember people doing no, it. It I was you. It was me. It was a it was a 30-06 Ruger American. and I. <sighs> so the distinction there is a top coat applicant and then a, like a chemical or surface. Yeah. So, yeah, like like with those parts I was talking about, like suspension components, I would have the whole thing powder coated, but it, we, would, we would tape off those those faces that needed to be uh, kind of a pretty tight tolerance. We'd tape those off and just conversion coat those because yeah. it's better than nothing. Yeah. Right. But it's not fully coated. And usually if it's if it's in that area, it's probably going to have a bushing pushed up against it with a bunch of you know bushing grease and stuff like that. That's also going to help keep moisture out. But it's better than nothing. So this is at least a good start. And then you know with components to a vehicle, if you're taking them off and working on them yourself, you can powder coat. Powder coating is really cool. I very much like powder coating. If you get a good powder coater or applicator um bad powder coat is worse than in my opinion it's worse than not coating it at all i'd rather have a piece of metal that's completely uncoated with anything at all than powder coated poorly because poor quality powder coating it just it's like 
it's like a gummy shell that's just waiting to crack and start flaking off. Hmm. And it's more of a pain in the butt to get that off than it is to get like bad paint off. And I just bad it, powder coating is like because if you get that off, you, you're using an abrading process to do it. You're blasting it. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. It's it's a pain in the butt. But if you get good powder coating done, then it shouldn't flake. Extremely resilient. Oh, it's extremely resilient. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it shouldn't flake at all. Like a lot of times, what you'll see is powder coating that looks beautiful, and then as soon as a rock hits it, it cracks. Yep. And then that crack will eventually, you know, water will get in underneath it. Stuff will happen. It'll flake off, and then it's it's like watching. You know, when you go to the beach and you get a little too sunburnt and your skin starts coming yeah. off, you know, that's what it's like to see it all all happen. But good powder coating, it might get a, a rocket that hits it and, that, and it, it won't. Deflects. That's it. It's just yeah. localized to that area. Uh, doesn't chip. And uh, it's really, really um, resistant to scratching, chipping, uh, cracking. It's it's really good stuff. I mean, I shoot powder coated bullets and they come packaged just amongst themselves. Yeah. Initially, I thought like, oh, they must be like individually separated so that that, you know, they don't click together or anything. I mean, you can hit them with a hammer, and the 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 bullet squishes, and the coating goes with it. That's so like, crazy. Like to see the coating crack is is pretty rare. Yeah, like, well, I, I which bullet is that? To... Uh, Acme's. So I shoot them in forty four mag, forty five seventy. Uh, 357 38 special. Why are they powder coated? So I don't have to gas check my bullets. And so I don't have leading in my bore. Oh. Yeah. I mean, they would have to have a really good application process because, I mean, think of the, the absolute torment a bullet goes yeah. through as it goes down the bore of a rifle. My goodness. I mean, yeah. it's just the, the obturation. Yeah. Shout out to Luke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> makes the, great products, but man, did he bring us a good word. <laughs> I tell you what. The, um, the inventor of obturation but Jim, I it, got, oh. it's cool though because like i've dug those out of the berm after i've shot them and and of course you know we subject them to tens of thousands of rpms and you know 1900 feet per second and a whole bunch of heat and friction and everything and then they hit something and stop and like i pull them out of the, the berm of sand and they're still mostly red that's crazy Un- unless material has been like removed from right them and we expose it but that's wild yeah it is it's cool stuff jim question yeah, we've got a piece. Well, we got metal in various stages here, but kind of starting off rusty, and yeah. then you know media blasted, removing the rust. What if you had that rust and then you just coated it? Like, let's say you went from the rust to the powder coating. Hmm. Can you do that, or do you need to remove the rust and go through that in like a step by step process? It's a really bad surface. To- to put any sort of protective layer on. Because if you think about what's going on here, this is where you're getting that that iron oxide, that like that rust layer is appearing on on this piece of metal. Mm-hmm. And it's it doesn't bond to the base metal, right? That's right. the whole thing about that's why it flakes off oh, and sure. falls off. Yeah. You know? So if you try applying a protective coat to that, your protective coat might adhere pretty well to this outside rust layer, but that rust layer is not bonded to the base metal. So therefore it's a weak overall gotcha. um, application. Uh, your your finished product really won't look that good either because you have all this ugly rust underneath, which is usually not uniform looking, and it's just not a good way to do it. I, I There's certain uh, products you can apply. This gets outside the realm of powder coating. There's certain products you can apply that are like rust conversions. 
Um, but even those, you you want to clean up the metal as much as you possibly can first. It's not designed to just slather over flaky, disgusting, gunky rust, and then it just turns it somehow magically into really structurally sound metal. You want to get rid of the flaky stuff because that stuff needs to adhere really well to a strong base to actually do anything. Most of the time when people use like a rust conversion, they've got the metal down as much as they can, but maybe the metal is, is fairly pitted, and they've mechanically removed as much rust as possible, but they know that there's the potential that there's little tiny, tiny, almost microscopic little pockets of rust in there. And they don't want to kind of risk that, paint over it, and then have issues with that later on in all those little spots. So they'll rust conversion uh, that area. That takes care of anything they may have missed, so to speak. Um, And then they can either leave it like that or or do something else over the top of it. That's kind of at least what I've gathered. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. But yeah, powder coating is so like powder coating. It just happens to be the thing we had as a visual aid here. It's not that feasible for every application. It's great if you have like I mentioned a piece of metal that you've taken off of a vehicle, and before you put it back on, you want to clean it up and prevent it from rusting in the future. Like suspension components, cross members, um, you know, other little brackets and things like that. It works great for. Um, I like it. That's kind of the time to do it. I'd imagine too. You got it off. Yeah. If you want to do it, do it then. Yeah. I like it for what I do because I do it on a lot of road cars. I know the off-roading community generally doesn't like powder coating because it's more expensive than paint and it's harder to touch up than paint. So they usually find themselves gashing against rocks, trees, branches, cacti if you're in Arizona, whatever it is. And, uh, and if you have this nice expensive powder coating that you've done everywhere and then you go out in one trip and it's all gashed up, you sort of, A, it would have gotten gashed up no matter what you put on it. So you kind of spend a lot of money to have something get beat up anyway. And B, it's harder to touch up with just like a spray can, you know, rattle can. So usually what they'll do is they'll just kind of rattle can stuff. And that gets the job done. It's not as, I think, when you do it, when you, if you get good powder coating, it's not as tough as good powder coating. But, you know, good powder coating, again, won't, won't save you from having the whole weight of your vehicle, you know, crashing a control arm into a rock or something. Um, <laughs> right. But, yeah. Ah, powder coated. But, yeah. I mean, the, Older. the application of powder coat is super cool. Um, I, have, I haven't I have done it, so I can't claim to be a powder coater. But I know that essentially what you have is, so it's a very similar process to what they do with like um, electroplating with zinc. But you have basically a, a metal that's ready to receive powder and then through uh, charging the, the product in there or whatever, all of the electronically charged particles of powder basically all... Oh, I don't even know. I'm describing it terribly. It's, it's like static, elect- yeah. static electric cling. Right. So it yeah. clings to it. So you get everything gets coated. Like you, you don't have to rely on perfectly applying everything by hand. You can rely on like physics and yeah, basically electronic current to, yeah. to actually coat everything. And a very even application too. Right. Whereas like a liquid surface applicant, you yeah. gum it on. And then you're thin on one side. Or it's thin, yeah. Yeah, one of the coolest things I've seen is when they're powder coating large components that, um, I don't even know what the component was in the video, but they had like an air table. Mm -hmm. And then they had air coming up through it, almost like an air hockey table. And two guys took the part and they put it and submerged it basically in in the powder that looks like it's boiling. And all it is is just air coming up through it. And they get this phenomenal coat. They hang it on the rack and they put it into the oven to cure. Yeah. And it comes out and it just looks stellar. And like, I thought about that. I'm like, could you paint that? Well, yes, you, you could. You'd undoubtedly miss spots. 
you'd have an extraordinary amount, like a high amount of waste mm. as well, because you're shooting this, you know, small beam oh, yeah. of paint out. It was just wild and fascinating to watch. And it is interesting, though, that you don't see powder coat applicant used in firearms. I think I think it's the thickness. I mean, if you have, let's but, say, but like, like I'm talking like for like cosmetic things, right? So like I can understand why you'd use a thinner top coat applicant for different things, oh, yeah. non-bearing surfaces. But for like cosmetic stuff, like the accoutrement, like trigger guards, bottom metals, oh, yeah. stocks, hmm. you know, non non critical point parts. Like it, it's a it's a cool thing. Comes in a lot of different colors. It's attractive. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so does Cerakote, though, and I feel like everybody prefers Cerakote. I don't know if it has to do with the ceramic nature to it. Maybe yeah. it's Cerakote's very tough. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, anyway, but. I mean, this is this is one example, though, of a way that you can protect certain parts. Mm-hmm. Another example would be, you know, in your truck bed. Obviously, like bed liners of some sort are are really good. Um, I like I like to do. I mean, a lot. I know a lot of people will self apply bed liners and and things like that. If you can do a phenomenal prep job, then it's, it's going to be great. Um, and but I like to have uh, somebody else apply a bed liner for me. Like you know, the Linex ones I think are really good. It's actually stupid to see what a Linex bed liner can go through before it it fails. Um, and even sometimes the plastic ones, I feel like it's amazing to me that the plastic ones don't have more problems with rusting underneath them. You know, sure. like when like you see a shop in bed yeah. liner. It, it, that's pretty bad. Like I won't. I don't like those. No. I and it's just personal preference. I I've used many trucks that have them and i've seen plenty of trucks that had a drop-in bed liner get it pulled out and it's immaculate underneath i don't understand how it's possible right because there's so much room underneath there for air and dirt and grime or whatever and moisture to get in it i don't get it but um those can't function i just i don't like to have a bare truck bed though that's for sure um so i mean but that's a big one because then you can avoid rust in the bed of your truck um and then one of the ones, though, that I really love. Got a bottle of it here on the table. So people... What is it, Jay? This is wool wax. Oh, Jim. Uh, uh, right there. You just have a piece of paper. This Hold is... that up, please. <laughs> Mark printed this. Don't make me explain myself. Did you write that, or did you find it somewhere, or is that actually the second page of what you printed out? No, this this is multiple points of research. But what multiple what points of rust research? One, I'm sorry, there's two words technically on that page <laughs> it, because it went over and a nice tasteful border. <laughs> uh, yeah. So judgment free zone. A lot of times, people will try and apply rust proof protection to the bottom of their vehicle because a lot of times where you're going to find a lot of bad rust will be on the bottom of a vehicle i mean it's exposed to all kinds of things exposed to tons of moisture tons of debris uh maybe every single day depending on where you live um or at least quite often and a lot of them i really really don't like most of the underbody rust protection i don't like like any kind of rubberized coating i would stay away from Absolutely. Really? As oh, I'd stay as far away from it as I possibly could. And I hope that there's nobody who listens to this who's like, "Well, I'm a professional rubberized, you know, undercoating applicator, and so I hate you now." I I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't do it because it it requires such a 
most of the time what you see with that stuff is it looks beautiful on the outside until it all starts flaking off and falling off. Because yeah. what's happening is, unless it's absolutely perfect, like the bottom of the vehicle is perfect, and absolutely absent of any moisture whatsoever before applying the rubberized uh, undercoating, then you're just trapping the stuff that makes rust between the rubberized undercoating and the metal. Yeah. And then it's just going to do its job. It doesn't care if it's in the light or not. It doesn't... It. I mean, you can have... How often have you opened up a toolbox to find at the bottom of the toolbox a super rusty wrench that was, you know, got a little bit wet down there one time and it just... Rusted. Festered. Yeah. It didn't. It doesn't care if there's sunlight or or whatever. Yeah. It'll do its job uh, even if it's covered up by, by an undercoating. Jim, I choose so, to believe it. If I can't see it, it's gone. That's what I thought with that Jeep. Uh, but yeah, I don't like that stuff. Um, I I just don't. I mean, maybe. I'm not even going to say maybe. I was going to say maybe if it was applied like brand new from the factory before the car ever even saw anything. But it's just hard to say. So yeah, let's talk about what you do like. Wool wax. Uh, and there's other coatings too. You know, some people will paint stuff. Some people will do whatever. So I was doing some research uh, a couple moons ago. And, um, not many, but a couple. <laughs> and I saw that there was all these farmers out east in New England. And they had become known for out there, you know, they, they have a lot of moisture, tons of moisture. They have the ocean not far away. They have winters, you know, they have, I mean, all, a lot of the same stuff we have, but I would even venture to guess it might be a bit worse. Um, what they would do before the winter season, <clears throat> they would take all their old oil and this is probably like just tragic for the environment, but whatever. I mean, this is back in the day. They didn't know. Uh, maybe they still do it. Whatever. Um, <laughs> they take all their old oil from like tractors. Oh, hold on, hold on. And- Real quick here, Jim. I I print off a, a, a word here, and it's, it's a pretty big deal. A lot of judgment there. Person wants to coat the earth in oil. It's already you do the, what feels the right. oil came out of the ground to begin with. Oh, It'll just be there someday natural. when they go to drill it later on. <laughs> right? Isn't that how that works? <laughs> yeah, the difference look, is, not... Mark, is those guys did it once a year. You do it every podcast. True. And, you know, for all I know, maybe they did it over some big giant drip tank and they saved the, the runoff for another time. You know, I'm um, not saying anybody was doing anything wrong here, okay? We're not accusing. But what they would do is they'd take all that old oil and they would, they would just basically pressure wash it up on, on the bottom of their trucks. So sure. their whole truck would be covered... In you know some sort of a thick oil that was you know rather resistant to water and all that stuff, and they drive around then that whole winter and and they would remain relatively rust free. And I got to thinking about that, and I realized that in some ways, uh, a lot of times what people will spray on uh, to vehicles to protect it from rust, they'll spray on something that they want to dry, and they want it to then have like a hardened mechanical resistance to. Uh, abrasion and then therefore that protective layer will keep the water out. So they're relying on having a hard layer and that hard layer, as long as it doesn't become uh, sort of scratched or or fail in some way, that will keep the water off the metal. Well, you know, there's all kinds of ways that that can fail. Even, even ways that you can't even hardly see. It doesn't have to be this giant, just egregious gash across. You yeah. know, it can be really little ways. And then that'll start to rust. And then now you have an annoying kind of like layer of maybe it's maybe it's bed liner that you sprayed on something other than the bed. Maybe it's paint or whatever that you have to kind of deal with. And maybe you have to sand it all down, start over. And that's just kind of a pain in the butt, especially when you're like underbody. 
uh, because there's so many nooks and crannies and all that stuff. It'd just be it'd be a nightmare to think to have to go in and paint all that or apply some sort of a, a barrier like I'm talking about. So I I looked into that and I was like, well, that's kind of interesting because what these guys did is they didn't try to paint it all. They just coated it all in a in a uh, I guess a material or, or whatever is the proper word that wouldn't dry. So it would actually stay somewhat liquidy. And then I th- the gist was that um, by never drying, it would almost maintain a little bit of like a viscosity to it. So if ever it was wiped away mechanically or something happened to it, maybe another layer would sort of make oh, its yeah. way in. It would almost be self-correcting, yeah. sort of. Um, it would also allow itself to drip into other areas that you wouldn't necessarily be able to reach with an applicator. Um And the other really neat thing was if you got road debris, salt, sand, dirt, whatever, that would kick up underneath the vehicle, that itself would stick to this stuff and it would almost then create, it wouldn't get through to the metal, it would stick on the outside and then it would start to create its own kind of barrier. So then you'd almost get like double protection, if you will. And... um, so I looked around, I'm like, well, I'm not going to spray a bunch of motor oil up at the bottom of my truck, I don't want to do that, but I found wool wax, and I there are other products out there, um, like the stuff in a silver can with a red top that I can't remember right now, um, off the top of my head, it is... I thought this stuff would not be this color. Well, that is a dyed variant. Okay. What is it? In so this is a lanolin-based product. That's what I wanted to know. In its natural state, it's kind of like a brownish tannish color. Okay. So do you pick the black so that you can see it better when you're applicating? Yes. Okay. Because the stuff, even if it's like a tannish brownish, when you spray it at the bottom of, of like a vehicle, it's not going to stay that color. Sure. It'll it'll essentially go clear for thin. all intents It gets and real purposes. thin and then you can't really see it. It gets really thin. You can't really see it. It's hard to tell. Unless you kind of just look at the sheen to yeah. it of being wet sort of um you can't really tell that it's there so um you could market it as fde and then oh then all the tactical boys will want it what do you got here i don't know are any of those things the oh yeah thanks fluid film oh yeah fluid film is another i think it's also lanolin based oh it smells beautiful i love the smell of fluid we're not film. abdicating huffing it's fluid 100% film it's 100 natural it's lanolin okay. based okay fine it'd be like it's like walking up to a sheep and just sticking your face in and smelling it although depends on the sheep some sheep no yeah depends on the like a clean sheep we're not like advoca- the ones, we're not advocating that either like the ones that you see in like the children's books those kind of oh, sheep yeah, it'd be like nice going one. up and just sniffing one of those okay anyway uh this stuff smells great it's not toxic. It is a natural product. Did, careful when you open it because it gets on you. And then yeah, it gets you in just you. open it very uh, a little bit. Very gingerly. Yeah. So. Oh, I can already. I, well, I think maybe I can just. Smell. Yeah, just smell that. It's a great smell. It smells like a. It smells like a. It smells like the car wash. Uh, that's an interesting observation. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have picked that. For me, it smells like like what I would expect if I walked into my grandpa's smells. workshop. Yeah, like an old shop. It smells like an old workshop. Yeah. It's just, I love it. Um, so anyway, there's a good sniff for good measure. Uh, so this stuff, you can buy it, and and I'm going to be a total wool wax influencer here. I think there's other brands that make a very similar product. But what this stuff does is, um, it's a lanolin-based product. You can buy it in this dyed uh, texture so that it's, it's black. And then even if your frame is a little bit, like it's got some surface rust on it or whatever, it's a little brown, a little kind of discolored or whatever, when you spray it on, it's just like beautiful, mm. like black color. Everything looks brand new. Um, 
And so you got to put it in an applicator. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have access to a uh, uh, air compressor. So then that's kind of the one just, you know, you got to have something like that to be able to apply it because it goes in these little containers like I have here. It's kind of like a plastic container and then it screws into the bottom of a of an applicator with a like a blow gun. It's pretty f- viscous stuff. It's fairly is viscous. It how, the colder is, is it, it gets, like a, obviously, the less viscous it is. It is. You know, like the sp- is it like a spray painter kind it, of It system? looks kind of like a paint applicator, yeah, but a little bit less complex. Okay. Um, but yeah, so- Do you have to thin it? If, if it's cold. Okay. If it's cold, you have to you have to warm it. So like you you'd heat up like a pot of water and you yeah. stick this thing down in it to let it thin. But you don't have to thin it with a with a solution or like a just just like a, it has to heat up. Yeah. So I'm I'm as feeling is it- at room temperature right now with at least my air compressor, which is kind of a hefty one. Like it'll just blow right through the cabinet. no kid no problem. I assumed like this was like concentrate. I, I no. I thought that at the end of this was a brush. There is. Well, does, no, this one has a brush. Yeah. Like, but paste? I, I thought oh, what you were doing, because you, you told me, like, you need to put this on your truck. And I'm like, I Googled wool wax and I saw it. And I was like, no, I sprayed it. Jim, um, great idea. Not happening. Um, if you got I a, sprayed if, it. If you got a few free years, what, just. Uh, what kind of, like, what kind of mess is that for you? Like, overspray. Yeah, so, this is nice because, because un- unlike the guys who I'm sure had to spray motor oil up on the bottom of their trucks, this stuff sticks. So, it doesn't splatter. You're no. not getting. Okay. No, I mean, you'll get a little bit if you're kind of careless with the with the sprayer nozzle or whatever, you'll get a little overspray somewhere in your shop, maybe. But it, it when you spray it, you aim it. Yeah. And when you spray it, it'll stick exactly where the nozzle is. Pointing. I'm feeling like a Spider Man situation here. Yeah, like, a little bit. Yeah, okay. a little bit. So, so, so your, your prep work, aside from having a clean, undercarriage like that's yeah one and then two dry undercarriage yeah that's definitely good to start with but this stuff is kind of hydrophobic so even if you have a little bit of moisture it'll be displaced to the outside okay so that's like the really neat thing about it um you just go hog wild like i mean you get like you said i like to have a car wash before and wait till the truck's dry but i just you just get underneath crawl underneath there and just go nuts on it wear some safety glasses because because it some of it like very lightly will kind of come back but, um, I mean, you can do a whole truck and not have to wipe your glasses. I thought 100% you were coming out of this operation looking like the Tin Man. No, right. once yeah. this stuff gets on you, it's on you. Like, and you, I mean, it takes orange goop and mechanical, like, mechanical removal to get it off. Sure. You can't just wash it off. With but just, you're, not, you're not walking out of the under, undercarriage of the old Ram looking, looking, looking like, like you like scrawl out of coal mine. Out of like a grease coal mine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, it, does, it like does make sense, though. Properties that are protecting your truck, it's going to try to do the same for you. Right. Well, you know, maybe that's not bad. You're not going to so, rust like we talked about. Well, yeah, maybe I just need to walk around with this all over my hands all the time. But I mean, this stuff is brilliant. I absolutely love it. I put it so, like, I get underneath the vehicle and I put it everywhere that I can possibly reach with it. It comes with this nice bendy wand on the end yep. of the applicator so you can get it up in various crevices and stuff. I'll put it on every surface that I can see. I won't put it on plastics because I don't think it exactly loves petroleum-based products. It will kind of try to penetrate them okay. a little bit, and then oh. that can cause some like warping or something. I won't put it on electrical connectors. I'll avoid those, and um, I'll avoid like very uh, sensitive pieces of equipment. So like, I'm not going to spray it all up in my U joints. Sure. Like, I just don't want to do that because I don't want to get them all just full of a different kind of grease, and they're maybe already full of, and then those greases don't like each other. So I'll, I'll spray it on basically just big, dumb pieces of metal, right? And the whole body of Are the Are you of masking the truck. anything off or you're just yeah, kind of- that was my next question, yeah. 
No, if I get a little overspray on something, I'm not gonna. Okay. I'm not gonna be super upset about it. So I don't mask anything. And I also, it's a '93. I use it as like a work it's a truck. It's a '96. It's a '96. It's a '90. I use it as kind of like a work <laughs> truck. So like, if I get a little wool wax on the outside, either either wipe off or I'm preventing rust. I guess in that little tiny spot. So I don't really care. Okay. But um, spray it like everywhere. And um, avoid some of those sensitive areas, like I said. Don't spray like the very backs of your tail lights, because then there's connectors there, and you might, I don't know, get stuff into those. But like, I spray everywhere. I get up inside the rear bumper. Yep. I'll get up on top of the axle. I'll get try and get down in the spring perches. I won't spray it anywhere near my brakes because I don't want to grease all of my brakes. That kind of reduces friction, which they re- require. Um, <laughs> if there's any like holes in the body, I will get in the various holes to try and spray the yeah fill those with with the wool wax somebody's gonna make an innuendo there it is what it is um but uh so i'll spray all in that i'll open the doors and at least on on this vehicle i know in a lot of modern vehicles like all the, the holes in the doors would be plugged by rubber plugs of some sort but if there's any area in the doors that's not i'll spray down in the doors just because I know a lot of trucks will oftentimes rust out inside the doors. Yeah. Not even just trucks, just vehicles in general. Uh, some will rust out inside the doors. Um, and, I mean, everywhere. Way up in the wheel wells. They also make, so Woolwax also makes another product. This is the rather, like, runny stuff that you can run through an air compressor in the yeah. spray wand. They make a stuff that you do apply with a brush that's designed for wheel wells. So it's, like, super, super high stick. It comes, it, it feels like uh, unfiltered honey. Okay. Oh. And mm-hmm. and you brush that onto the inside of your wheel wells. It has no color to it, but you brush it on the inside of your wheel wells. I did that two years ago, and it's all still there in my wheel wells. And, Unbelievable. And what's happened now, though, is all that road debris has caked up onto it. So now there's a new layer of this, like, it's literally like an out, outside oxidized layer, but it's just road debris on the outside of that grease stuff, and everything underneath it is perfectly fine, just completely untouched. No water's getting to it. No debris getting to it. Um, if I ran my finger along it, I would come out with like a greasy finger still. And same thing. If I touch the bottom of my, fr- like the frame of my truck right now, if I ran my finger along it, it would come out like greasy and black, like this wool wax stuff. It's crazy how long it, it stays doesn't, there. it doesn't dry. And that's the key. If you get something that dries, usually there will be a way for moisture to get in behind it. Can we somehow, wool, can we wool, wool wax my truck, Jim? We can, if you want, I'd love to. It's a process, but we can do it. Um, so anyway, but this stuff, it just doesn't dry. And it just, it creates, in my opinion, one of the best barriers uh, that you can possibly get. And I'll get that I'll get that same stuff, the wheel liner stuff. I run that all along the bottom edges of all my doors so I don't get any rust along there. It's all still there. I ran it even... I ran it even on the inside of the of the door on the frame too, because the other thing is like if you have an old vehicle, mm-hmm. the body and the frame and things like that they're not galvanized metal. Like new vehicles now, you scratch off the paint a little bit. If you see that kind of like bright silver underneath it, that's not steel. That's actually like the galvanized metal, so it's not going to rust there really very likely. Old cars, I mean, it's just straight metal with some paint over the top of it, so yeah. you lose the paint and now you have a problem. Um, and so this is you know it's an, it's not a it's not um, galvanized or anything like that so i know that i need to protect pretty much everywhere i can i've got the definition for galvanizing here jim if you'd like to hear it i think i know it but please enlighten galvanization or galvanizing is the process of applying a protective zinc coating to steel or iron to prevent rusting yeah so your your truck is a galvanized body okay and so it's it's steel body 
all galvanized and they paint over top. So it's very, and then that's why too, why like if you go and I'm going to make somebody else mad at me, but if you go to a dealership and you get a brand new car and they're like, would you like us to apply the complimentary or not complimentary because you have to pay for it. Would you like us to apply (laughs) the rust proofing or the rust protection package to your vehicle? That is one of the areas where they usually like make their money off of you. Um, more so than the margin on just the vehicle sale. They try and give you all the extras and then they really kind of like recoup uh, a lot of money sort of off of you. If you want it, it's not some, it depends on the dealership. Some dealerships actually do something that is pretty helpful and it's, it's fairly good. For the most part, they're doing something that you don't really need because you already have a galvanized body and, you know, all this other stuff. Um, that reminds me when I bought a, a different used truck from a, a dealership a while back. And they told me like how great the truck was, and then you know they kind of send you to talk to the the next person. Yeah, and he's like, I mean, you're gonna need A, B, C, D. I mean, this could explode at any time. Oh yeah, the yeah. warranty, the warranty, the warranty, the warranty. And I'm like, but the the, the other guy the with other how guy good of a truck, really it was really good one. What is the application frequency? I do it. Uh, I really lazily did it before this winter, but last so last winter, I went and did everything, the whole thing. Right. And so um, that was one big application. It took me a little while. Um, this winter, I crawled underneath there and I looked, took a look around and I saw if there was anywhere that had been washed away. Incredibly, there had not been. It was washed away nowhere. The only difference between this year and last year was that I added a different rear bumper that I didn't coat. I added in the summer and so I decided to coat that. I had a little bit of work done because I had an issue with an alignment somewhere. And when it was at the shop, they had to mess around with some of the stuff in the axles and it, it got wiped away. So I reapplied there. And then when it was at their shop, they had it on a lift and the pads that it sat on on the lift, when they took them away, <clears throat> away, excuse me, uh, kind of pulled away some of the, the wax. So I reapplied to any of those areas. I reapplied to the U-bolts that hold my rear axle. And I reapplied to the leaf springs a little bit just because they are always moving. So they kind of rubbed a little bit off themselves. And that's all I did. It took me, I mean, 30 minutes before this winter and I'm still rolling on it. No problems. Annual? Like, will you do this, the whole process again next year? Is it like you look look at a trouble spot and hit it if you need be? Now I just maintain. I did it once. So yeah, once a whole this winter and then before the last winter. Yeah. And then, so before this winter, it was a pretty just maintenance thing. And I have a feeling that before next winter, I won't really have to do anything else either. So washing your truck then? Oh, yeah. No, that's the cool thing. So I was like, oh, this stuff's totally going to just get blasted off the second I go through the car wash. Especially one of those ones that sprays the underbody of the car. No, it won't come off. No kidding. It won't come off. What about- uh... The slush, the snow, anything. any Like I'll drive- uh, Drive through a cornfield, you got all those corn stalks coming up. They might wipe it a little bit, but it's it, like I said, it's like self-correcting. Uh, I, like, I it, like this. It's amazing. It just doesn't come off. What about uh, let's say you're gonna be like, oh man, I'm interested in doing this. <clears throat> how many how many like bottles to do an average size pickup? Um, I don't know. To be honest with you, I think I went through probably. <sighs> I don't even know. I know that I got a big bucket. I can't remember how many gallons it is. And I maybe went through like an eighth of it. What's oh. one of those? What's one of those big, uh, big buckets like you get food store, like emergency food storage? Yeah. And how big are those? I mean, are you talking like the Grandes? Like I'm talking, yeah, like 30, one thirty-three gallon drop. Is that thirty-three gallon? Yeah, it's about this tall. Yeah, by about that wide. Yeah, thirty. So gallon. I, I put like a dent in it that was maybe like an unbelievable. So real, realistically, you do like five of these bottles. Five of those, yeah. I'd say. Well, I don't know. 
Yeah, five, six of those, something like that. Interesting. I would assume, well, no. I would assume like three gallons or three to five gallons or something like that. Okay. To do a whole truck. Yeah, and I mean, you started with nothing. I started with, yeah, absolutely nothing. Everything. On a very rust-prone vehicle. Yeah. And I've driven it, yeah, like you said, through two winters now. I drive it in the summer all the time. I pull stuff with it and... I spray it on all the trailer hitches. I yep. spray it down in the trailer hitch and on anything I'm about to slide into the trailer hitch. Yep. Um, I have seized a hitch into my receiver. Yeah. This is, my old man's like, you just pull it out. And I'm like, it's not coming out. And he's like a very burly dude. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a slant fella. And he couldn't get it out. A hammer came out. A maul came out. And then we hooked it to a tree and tried pulling the truck forward. Guess what never came out of that truck? That receiver hitch. Wow. Yeah. Jim, let me ask this. Let's say you got you've got a truck or a vehicle you've been driving a little bit, and you can see like whatever I guess on the axles there, like it kind of looks like what we got here. You've got that yeah. that surface rust going. Um, could you just spray that that stuff on there, and that's going to help prevent that from getting worse? This, this spray right over. Okay. So like if you can see it on YouTube, this stuff right here, it's it's definitely a little bit brown, uh, like. It's definitely a little bit pitted, but this is this is probably one of those alloys that you're not gonna. I mean, this could probably sit even outside for years and years, and it's not ever actually gonna rust a hole through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd spray right over the top of this though. Okay. If it were flaking, get the flakes off first oh. thing. Okay. Yeah, you want to get try if, to get down to the base get the metal. loose stuff. You want to get to the basement. Yeah, as close to the the actual clean state yeah. as possible, and then hit it. Yeah, but, I did this in the. Uh, I also when you pull the tailgate down. Yeah. And there's the crevice along the side of the yeah. tailgate right there. I applicated it all to that, and it's still there two years later. Um, never Unbelievable. Been, never been washed away, and yeah. it it if I still touch it to this day, two years later, if I go like this with my finger, it'll come off like a grease. Yeah. It so hasn't dried. It's not con. It's so. Just to confirm something, this is a stops rust. This is not a conversion. This is a prevention. Yes. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if we look at how corrosion occurs, it's preventing that from happening. Not it is not converting already con- corroded things back to a natural state. Yeah. Okay. No, you want to get rid of the cor- you want to get rid of the flaky corroded yeah. stuff first. And, and that we we can see here in the kind of mm-hmm. chronology of this is right. we have a corroded surface. We have. Uh, an abraded surface, and we've taken away the crap, and then we have a converted surface. And and metal metal won't rust if there is no moisture getting to it. Right. So if you completely coat it with a non-drying, like basically non-removable almost, uh, hydrophobic barrier yep. that adheres to it, and then also is kind of self-correcting, you know, and kind of just like leaches out into areas where, oh, you know, like some got brushed away there, it kind of just does that. Yeah. Um, Further water can't get to it, so it can't continue to do. Understood. This. And that's what they mean by stops rust. That's what they, it yeah. stops it, right? Tracking. And yeah, salt. There's salt all over the roads here. That salt kicks up. It touches that barrier. It might even get stuck to that barrier, but it isn't getting to the base metal. And then also, water isn't getting to the base metal. Yeah. So, no more problem. Fascinating. I just, I, it's been very satisfying. Now, the the tough thing is that if you are absolutely OCD about it, like I am, then you'll you'll there's little places here and there that I find that I missed. Even two years later, I, I get up under there and I'm looking around and I'll stick my head in a different crevice within between the axle and the gas tank and all that. And I, Oh, I never coated that. And it's, you know, maybe 
maybe got a little brown spot. But then I get in there with the app cleaner and spray that. I mean, you you'll go you can go absolutely crazy with this stuff and drive yourself insane trying to find every nook and cranny. I'm envisioning you with various size containers with spray applications from from like the little tiny like the <laughs> a little <laughs> like Monaka. Yeah, you've got like a little pen sprayer all the way up to something that resembles a fire hose. Just depending on the job. Yeah, I, yeah. I pictured Jim up in there with like the whiteout size brush. <laughs> right. No, it's I I go I go pretty crazy with it. I hate rust that much though. Um and it it this works for that stuff. I mean, you know, the one thing is like I did I did take some of that um high spray wheel well liner stuff. I I I brushed that all around the the rain gutter around the roof mm-hmm. of the truck and on that front section of the roof where yep. where there's a lot of rust. Mine Mine was starting to bubble actually even before I went through any winters. It was starting to bubble there, and I, I I hit it with that. So now it's it's at least stopped that. But the you know the problem is if you obviously use this, you're going to turn on the outside of your vehicle. You're going to turn the vehicle a greasy black. You won't want to touch it. Um, and you know on that area there, it has discolored the paint a little bit. Um, but it's not a show truck. Uh, and and also that's an area I don't touch with my hands. Right. If I if I were gonna put it on a door handle or anything like that, then every time you go to touch it, you're gonna end up with super greasy, disgusting hands. So, um, you know, as far as like exterior surfaces or or surfaces that you have like high traffic or you actually touch, I mean that's where then you have to start getting into the powder coating, the painting, the the you know zinc electro uh, plating, anything like that. Um. That's that's kind of what you have to get into there. Hmm. You know, what was one interesting thing hmm. too that I learned. I know we're going a little bit long here, but I I wanted to bring. So, oh, it's rust, Jim. This goes into, uh, and I don't even like get it fully yet, but it goes into saline environments, and 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 what was the type of like a marine environment? Uh, well, and that's actually maybe not even the right word. There's a certain type of corrosion. Ah, I was I've read about it before. If you use stainless fasteners to adhere aluminum together, you will destroy the aluminum. Yep. Seen it. And if you use steel fasteners in aluminum, you will improve the life and rust resistance of the steel fastener. You can hmm. also weld the two together chemically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that too. But that's fascinating. It's wild. Aluminum. Sit it there. It'll sit there forever and not rust. I mean, yeah. basically, whatever. Uh, put a stainless fastener in it. The whole thing's just going to be ruined. Yeah. It's like when you put mercury on different types of metals. Like, it just, yeah. just turns into carbon. I forget, what, what do they call that? I can't remember what it is, but I remember when I when I started at the last outfit and we were talking about, like, the do's and don'ts of aluminum. Yeah. And we're talking about, like, how aluminum ox is formed and then why you don't take a fastener of grade X, Y, or Z and put it into a raw threaded aluminum hole because yeah. you will either A, end up with pulling out a chunk of aluminum where the threads have adhered to the fastener and the aluminum has completely rotted to hell or you like cold forge the two together through this interesting chemical oxidation process. In Baffling. Which, yeah. Um, Very curious. But you people do <laughs> want to watch out for that because I know yeah. some people who will... Some people who are maybe even more OCD than I am, not really though, because I would consider doing this at times, they will get something from a factory and then they will take out some of the fasteners and replace them with something that's more rust sure. preventative. Sure. 
than the fasteners that it came with. Yeah. Oftentimes, that's stainless. Yeah. Now, a lot of things these days are made out of aluminum. Hmm. And so yeah. if you're thinking, oh, these, you know, grade whatever regular steel bolts or screws, these will rust. So I'm going to take these out and replace with aluminum, or I'm sorry, stainless steel, you're going to have an issue. Yeah. That's why I usually like to go with like zinc uh, coated bolts or things like that because then I don't know as far as I'm aware that there shouldn't be any issue with that like a, a nice yellow plated zinc depending uh, or you can get like the silver ones um, but then you shouldn't have that issue melanite for me only big okay, melanite you. guy wow an aristocrat yeah I made that up I don't I don't do that QPQ whatever yeah I, I just get whatever fasteners came out of it. I'm hoping that the manufacturer thought it was a good thing yeah I don't know if I've ever upgraded the fasteners on anything that really needed fastener upgrading. I've coated fasteners because they immediately oxidize. Like electro coat or like uh, No, like spray paint. Oh yeah. Yeah. I uh surface applic or like just surface corrosion, not you know. I don't usually get stainless fasteners, but a lot of times I will upgrade to um like a mm-hmm. like a yellow zinc fastener or a zinc fastener. Cuz I Is this hate rust. The first vehicle podcast? No, we've done. No, we've done a couple others. Well, I learned a lot. I I did as well, Jim. Real quick before we go, any other like simple preventative measures a person can do maybe during the winter, you know, to be mindful of the condition of their vehicle. I mean, as soon as you get warm weather, try and wash your car. Because that will, if you don't have a coating like this on there, that will get off the salt that, you know, is going to, I mean, as it's warming up, the snow that was already there, whatever's happening, it's getting moist, and then you have the salt on there, so it's just going to accelerate the process. I actually think most people who experience a great deal of rust in climates like this, the bulk of the rust happens in early, or I'm sorry, not early, it, it happens in late fall, early winter, and it happens in late winter, early spring. I think that's okay. when you get the most rust, because especially late winter, early spring. There's salt that's still kind of on the road. Snow is melting. You're kicking all that salty water up on the bottom of your car. It sits there. It freezes. It melts and it sits there. It freezes. It melts and it sits there. You're going in and out of your garage. Your car is constantly changing between warm and cold. I think that's when we we get the bulk of our rust. And I actually don't even know if necessarily, especially for people with uninsulated garages, because I do adhere to that that theory, I actually don't even think necessarily you get a whole lot of rust that happens in the winter. Another follow-up last question. Should somebody be, with as much frequency as they can during the winter months, be maintaining a car wash schedule? Uh, I mean, I, I would say, again, I think, it's, I think it's whenever the weather warms up, I think it's a good idea to get so, a car wash. So, like, if I, hit, if I hit warm enough that I'm not going to screw anything up, like, the, meaning if freezing happens of water in my vehicle like it's not going to break something. Yeah. So if it's 28 degrees out, I'll go through the car wash. When you when you walk out to your car in the parking lot at yeah. the end of the day because the car has been in the sun, you know, during the day or whatever, and you look at the bottom of your of your truck and it's dripping, that would seem to be and that and also that night it's not going to drop like below zero all of a sudden, that would seem to be a good time to get a car and, wash. And so keeping and maintaining this this cleaning cycle on there, which I get the same car wash, undercarriage wash, you know, brushless, yeah. spray on, you know. Doing that with frequency, I'm not going backwards. I'm not I'm no, not introducing so. okay. 
I don't I don't think so. I do think it's a good idea to try and get the salt and chemicals off the bottom of your, okay. of your vehicle. And that's what I'm I shooting think for. That makes sense. That's that, what I'm that, for. that at least sort of resets things. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're parking in a warmed garage. So it at least resets things. So it's not like you have water sitting and salt. It's kind of like, well, just regular fresh water sitting there is, is less Better is less than, harmful. Yeah. Now, me, I guess I almost never wash my truck. A, the truck is too big to fit in most car washes, which is kind of a pain in the butt. But also, I have this stuff on there. And this stuff, all the things that I drive over in the winter uh, stick to it. And then I just have like that awesome caked up layer of this. And if you're if you're uh, not if you're not watching on YouTube, this Jim, is the wool wax. Uh, yeah, this stuff, Jim is once again talking uh, about the wool wax. It's all over the bottom of my truck, and so therefore I just don't see the need to wash it. And I'll wash it here as we like exit winter. I'll wash it, and I'll look at the bottom of the truck, and it'll still look just like it always has. Awesome. And I'll like I'll I. It's not even just like the old Jeep thing where I'm like it's nice and black in color, so it's perfect. It's like no, I'll poke around at it. I'll look at everything. I'll see if anything's flaking, and no, it's just. I like it. Well, there you have it, Vortex Nation. I bet you didn't think we could talk about rust for more than an hour. Jim, you've finally been able to address your arch nemesis, rust, and you've uh, revealed the fact that you are a wool wax influencer. And a sheep sniffer. <laughs> and, a, and a habitual sneeze, sheep sniffer. That's right. That's Lanolin. a big problem. Hey, that's a real problem for some people. Lanolin. Jim, thank you. Um, yeah, I do was you feel not, vindicated? I was not paid to do this, by the way. I should point that out. I actually yeah, am not. You're not influencer. a real. I wasn't an influencer until today, and I did it on my own volition. I do feel slightly redeemed, but I'm also still pretty pissed off. You're you still upset. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, I, because of the original podcast? Yeah. Yes, 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 the original podcast. There's was a communication kinda, breakdown. Yeah, was a communication I was breakdown, following Mark's yeah. lead. Uh, well, no, I know. It's mostly Mark's fault, but you were still there. As per usual, um, if I I don't claim to be a, a rust expert, I just claim to be a, 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 a sort of an anti-rust enthusiast. So if I said anything gravely wrong, or if there's any scientists out there that would like to refute any of the things that I've said today, please do so in the comments, and I would be happy to listen to you because I actually have no pride wrapped up in this. I, if you genuinely know how to prevent rust better than I do, I'm going to listen. Uh, but this method works for me. So awesome! Wow, there you have it, everybody. Ryan, thank you. Jim, thank you. Listeners out there, thank you. As Jim said, if you've got tips and tricks to prevent rust, let us know. We want to hear them. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye. 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 There you have it, folks. Thank you very much for listening. As usual, give this video a like if you liked it. Comment something below and give us a subscribe to the Vortex Nation podcast channel. It would mean a lot to us. Also, why don't you give us a follow over on Instagram while you're at it, at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'd love to hear from you over there, and we'll keep you updated with all kinds of cool photos and videos from our adventures that we do here. Otherwise, we will see you on the next one. Thank you again. Happy hunting and shooting, everybody. Have a good one.